Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 222. And today we are getting in the Halloween spirit, friends. We go into space. Yes, we're actually going to do two episodes in costume this year. Wow. Super fun. And this time we are yeah, going to space, which is quite appropriate because we are blasting off today. We are literally blasting off. Yep. We are talking about the aerial school UFO incident. Basically a bunch so of uh, school kids had mm-hmm. an encounter with aliens. Yeah. And man, I mean. This is <sighs> this is legit too. This isn't yeah. some. Should be enough to convince anyone. Yeah. I think, I, I think you it, really. I think it should be. It's wild. It is wild. And we also have a special guest. We do. Appearing here, Our blasting third off. Our compadre. <laughs> Can you? <laughs> Our little astronaut daughter here. She's so cute. She wanted to make Say a hello. little appearance. This is little Holly, and she dreams of one day being an astronaut. Yes, she's gonna go to space with Daddy, whether Mom, Mommy wants us no. to or not. No, no, no. We're going. I signed us up already. I bought us a ticket, two tickets. I can't even think about that. <laughs> Yes, Holly wanted to come say hi. We also have an alien here. <laughs> How you doing? I come in peace. It's pretty good. Makeshift costume there. Thank you. Got some help. Have a little hair clip. Yeah, I didn't know you guys were going to be aliens, so I had to really... Um, you mean astronauts? Or, yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I should have coordinated with you. So I had to quickly... We apologize. Improvise. Yeah, improvise. But hey, mm. I'm here. Yeah. Got my little antennas. And yeah. yeah. I delivered good. you your baby. You look like a yep. bug. Okay, yeah, you're kind of right. Not really an alien, more of a bug, but... <laughs> That's fine. An alien a bug. For I'm a um, E for effort. What is the alien that's, uh, like, the bug? Praying mantis. Praying mantis. Oh, yeah. The mantis being... Yeah, yeah. Mantis. could be the mantis being, for sure. <laughs> All I wanted to say hello before we get into today's episode. <laughs> yes, it's going to be a these lot of fun. costumes are super hot, though. Yeah, I was going to say, are you getting hot? Yeah, I am hot. I feel like I'm, like, in one of those sweatsuits <laughs> that, like, yeah. causes you to just sweat and burn calories so we're dripping I know. sweat from our brows. You know why? Mm. Yeah, I've been getting... It's kind of that time of year where you can't get the heat right in the building, and then it's kind of hot. Yeah, because it's it's been like cold out one day, hot the next day. You should have seen me on the session the other day. I was dripping sweat, but I was talking about my birth experience. So I think That's also probably the, why. The trauma coming back into my body. All right, say bye to everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Let me see my girl one more time. I mean, look at her. Is this not the cutest thing you've ever seen? She's actually very tired right now, and she's ready for her nap. Yeah, I was going to say, she is about two minutes before she starts crying again. Yeah, (laughs) yep. Well, now it's just us here, two astronauts who are overheating and sweating. I feel kind of sick wearing a... Wait, this isn't... Oh, this doesn't have NASA on it. Never mind. No, it's not NASA. Oh, we're good. I was going to say I was about to... We're into pageants. Independent space agency is what I meant. Yeah, I dig that. This is mile higher... Holly Space. Holly said NASA, though. Exploration. She's oh, part, does it? She's part of NASA. Oh, Holly God. says NASA? Yeah. Uh-oh. Oh. Nope. Never a straight answer. We nope. can't trust her, then. Mm-mm. Well, like we said, today's episode is going to be really interesting. I'm very excited to talk about this. Um, you've covered this a long time ago, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I never knew about this On incident, my actually. channel, Once Upon a Time, when yeah. I was a YouTuber. <laughs> <laughs> I did a YouTube video on it. It was pretty the good old days. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's fascinating. I had heard of it before, but I never really understood just the level of intensity behind the story. I mean, just how fascinating it truly just is. How many witnesses to the event there are? Right, like just and the consistency of the stories and mm-hmm. corroboration mm-hmm. is extensive. 
it's very hard to even poke holes in it. You know, it's one of those. It's like unless pretty you, rock solid. Yeah, unless you think all these all these kids are lying. Well, which it's a lot. Good luck so. getting a school of children to lie together. Yeah, when aliens land on the schoolyard, man. they have the same story too. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's so compelling. I think you guys are going to find this really interesting if you have not heard of it already. Before we get into today's episode, we wanted to thank our sponsors for the day: Modern Fertility and Pretty Litter. So this mass UFO sighting happened at the Ariel Primary School, which is a private elementary school in Zimbabwe, in Ruwa to be specific. And Ruwa is a suburb of Harare, which is Zimbabwe's capital city. Harare had a population of 1.2 million people in 1994, which is the year that this all unfolded. Ruwa was sort of on the borderline where the city area becomes the more rural area. And back in 1994, it was a pretty small town, mostly agricultural. And in this town, just outside of Harare, down the R5 highway, is the Ariel Primary School. So the Ariel School was one of the most expensive private schools in this area. And back in 1994, the students were from wealthy families in the area who could afford to pay the high tuition fees. Some of these students came from affluent white farming families in the area, and these kids were typically of British or South African descent. Other students came from wealthy families in Harare who didn't want to send their kids to the more crowded city schools. But the student body was still decently diverse, And the official language in Zimbabwe in the school system is English. So all the kids there were fluent. And it's been said that a lot of these students were the children of farmers who lived out in the country. So according to many popular reports, they didn't do things like go to the movies or watch TV. And they didn't have a lot of access to popular media. And again, some kids did come from farming families. But this bit of info has been spread with the implication that these kids were super isolated and not tapped into popular culture. But... These families were wealthy, so they could afford a decent, you know, high standard of living, meaning the kids had the same amount of exposure to TV, movies and other media that kids had in modern cities. So in 1994, the student population at the aerial school was about 250 kids and the school property was in a savanna type area, meaning it was on a grassy woodland area with spread out trees, pretty isolated too. And the kids at the school wore very neat uniforms that came in red, blue, green polos, khakis, bucket hats, and blue dresses. And the kids had a good education and enjoyed activities like soccer, swimming, tennis, and golf. That's bougie. But before we get into what happened at the aerial school on September 16th, 1994, we're going to go back two days before that to the night of September 14th. This event would set the stage for what would transpire down at the aerial school later. So that night, at around 9 p.m., people across southern Africa reported seeing a bright object streak through the sky. Some people reported seeing one object, like a bright shooting star, and other people reported seeing multiple objects moving together. The first report came in from an area near an airport in Johannesburg, South Africa, but other sightings quickly popped up across the region. The ZBC Radio, or the Zimbabwe Broadcasting Company, and BBC were flooded with calls from people who reported seeing the mysterious white gold fireball. And at first, nobody really knew what it was. But reports came in from all over the southern part of the continent. People as far as Botswana and Zambia reported seeing the magnificent light show. The object was visible in the sky for about 10 to 12 minutes. Many witnesses reported that the object looked to be the size of a jumbo Boeing 747, Others said it was even bigger, too big to be a plane. 
Many people reported that the object moved at about the speed of an airplane and it was low flying. And some witnesses said that the object made no noise as it passed, which obviously a plane makes a ton of noise when it passes, especially when it's low to the ground. Some people believe that the object was a plane on fire or about to crash. Other people didn't think it was a plane at all, more like a big fiery object with multiple little objects trailing it. And these were described almost like sparks. The country was in sort of a UFO craze after this mysterious event. It was all over the news and everyone had their own theories about what the object was. Astronomers and scientists suspected that the fireball was an asteroid that was burning up while entering the Earth's atmosphere. Or they hypothesized that the light show was caused by a meteor shower. UFO skeptic Brian Dunning has explained that the mysterious fireball actually came from a rocket. He said that the Zenit 2 rocket from the Cosmos 2290 satellite launch re-entered the Earth's atmosphere that night and caused the bright display. During the rocket's re-entry, its booster broke up and the rocket looked like a giant fireball as it moved across the sky. It was a pretty impressive sight that was witnessed all over southern Africa. But around that same time, there were reports that a young boy and his mother had actually spotted an alien during the daytime hours. Then there was another report that a trucker had seen something strange while he was driving at night. So at this point, many people in southern Africa had aliens or otherworldly phenomena on their minds, perhaps. And these September 14th sightings were just the beginning of the UFO mania sweeping the region. Because only two days later, something absolutely astounding had been reported to have happened at the aerial school in Ruwa, Zimbabwe. So Friday, September 16, 1994, started just like any other day for the kids at aerial school. The sun was shining and it was clear and hot day. After a few classes, the kids were excited to play in the schoolyard for their next break. So at the 10 a.m. mid-morning recess, 250 kids left the school to hang out for a bit outside. All of the adult faculty members were inside at the time having a staff meeting. So the only adult outside was a woman working the school's tuck shop, which is basically a stand where students could buy snacks or sweets. The woman was actually a volunteer whose child attended the aerial school. Again, everything seemed normal for a little while. Kids played games, ran around, smiling and laughing with their buddies for around 30 minutes. But that all changed when some of the kids noticed something strange. It was an object coming towards the schoolyard. Children started grabbing their friends and asking if they could see this object. It looked like a flying saucer or an unidentified flying object. The kids described the craft as a big silver or maroon colored disc or saucer shaped object. One of the students, a sixth grader named Salma, saw the silver object glimmering through the trees in an area just beyond the schoolyard boundary. She and her friends said the object was incredibly bright, unlike anything she'd ever seen before. And as more and more kids saw the craft, they began, of course, walking towards it. A small crowd of curious students started to form at the boundary of the schoolyard. They all focused their attention on this bushland beyond the boundary, and they weren't allowed to go any further because of the danger of snakes and thorny bushes. Here's one kid describing how everybody crowded the schoolyard boundary. Well, when they came, I thought they were crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Was this the first thing you saw? (laughs) I thought they were crazy just coming to our school doing nothing. And all I saw was something like silver coming down, and I said, what must that be? And everybody's crowding it. I must go crowd too. And then I went and I started crowding and everybody, uh, then more people came and more. And then I said, hey, I can't see anymore. Come on, somebody, I'm short. Come on. <laughs> so this specific area had really rough land with a thick undergrowth of grasses and bushes. The bushes and grasses were tall enough for a small child to easily disappear into them. The silver craft hovered just above the trees and then landed among them. 
and it made a noise that sounded kind of like a whirring or flute sound. And the kids were astounded when they saw that there wasn't just a spacecraft in the bushes. There were aliens, too. Here are two students describing what they saw. Me and my friend Claire, Haley, and Camilla, we were just walking, and then we saw this maroon color just waving about, and it was disappearing and disappearing, and we started to follow it. And um, then we stood over there on one of the logs, and we saw like this silver thing, and um, we decided that we should go down there and see, but. Claire said we're not allowed there, so I said I don't. It doesn't matter. Let's just go and see. And we got closer and closer, and we saw this um, silver thing just shining it. And we thought that it was just a house with glass um, reflecting in the sun and shining. Then we thought, no, it can't be that because there's no houses up there on the rocks. And um, then we waited for a few minutes and we just stared at it and we heard this flute, sort of like a flute noise. And then we got closer and closer and um, then we saw this, I saw this black figure running in slow motion and then I didn't want to see it so I looked away and I looked again and it wasn't there anymore. This figure, like Candace said, running in slow motion and one poked its head up and looked at me out of the grass and um, I, me and Candace were really scared, we nearly um, screamed, we were so scared and we were running back and forth because we were excited and scared at the same time. Anna Ribeiro, Anna, please tell us your experiences. You see, and when the bell rang, me, Gary, and Portia were supposed to practice for assembly that, that day. So we were called out by Stefan, that's one of our friends. And he called us and he said he saw something. So we went, I didn't actually believe that he actually saw something because he was saying it was an alien. And so I went out and then when I was looking at it, I saw um, it's like a silver light and like that kind of spaceship you showed me just coming out just for an instant and then it just disappeared like um just like that and so, so i i first thought it was my imagination because everybody was talking about it but then when i thought about it really i i i thought no it couldn't be okay so that was actually three students but really interesting to hear their take on it i mean do they seem like they're Fibbing to you? No, I don't really. I mean, that would be. There's just too much consistency between right. the stories for them mm -hmm. to all like. They don't. They'd have to all get together and be like, "All right, here's the story." Yeah, and there are way more interviews and students. Oh who yeah, this have stories just, to yeah. tell. This is just a tiny bit, but yeah, their stories are very consistent. And I mean, it's so hard. It's hard even as an adult. I feel to lie to like keep a big story going, but for a bunch of children, it's like next to impossible. Yeah, yeah, and why? Like, right? What would be the purpose behind? It? I mean, these kids are clearly very intelligent. And, I think that really know. sells it for me is the fact that they're children. They're not going to just easily be all convinced to do right. this giant lie. And like you said, for what? And another interesting thing that they all know is how this being is running in slow motion. It's kind of hard to picture what that would look like, but 
one of them had mentioned in a different documentary that it's kind of like a sports replay when they slow down. Yeah. That that's kind of what it seemed like to them, but it was playing in real time, obviously. Which is is interesting that that's what they observed. I mean, to me, it makes me think whatever this being was, was perhaps not acclimated to the gravity here. Yeah, maybe. In some way. And oh, that's a good thought. So, you know, once it left, so if you think about it, like if they really are, Mm. aliens from another planet i mean their gravity is gonna be different there yeah they have it at all and trying to adjust you know when they're wow. when they fly into when they come into you know mm-hmm. our atmosphere and stuff i mean it's totally different physics than maybe right. what they experienced before so it's almost as if that they came to like reveal themselves to the mm-hmm. children because maybe children didn't pose a threat to them mm-hmm. they knew that they knew these yeah. were young kids, and so they were just literally getting out to like take a look at them and yeah. just observe and maybe mimicking. You know, maybe they had been observing the children playing, and they're like, "Oh, well, we want to go down there and play with them or try out what they're doing." You know, maybe it was interesting to them because yeah. it's like the kids were running around playing and running, so maybe the whatever this being was wanted mm-hmm. to replicate what it was watching yeah. and test it out for themselves. And it's mm-hmm. just interesting. It's interesting that. The kids refer to it as alien. Part of the reason why we brought up, you know, sort of the background of the children and, you know, that they're wealthier and they definitely have access to a lot of modern luxuries is because there is a possibility they had, they would have been exposed to films mm-hmm. featuring aliens. Mm-hmm. And so whatever they saw, clearly they made that connection to maybe something they had seen yeah. before or heard about or read about perhaps. Right. And so they coined the term alien. So, because it's like if you've never seen an alien before, how would you know what an alien looks like? Mm-hmm. And would you use alien versus right. there is this else. creature? You know, they they use like alien, like, right? Exactly. Yeah. There was this weird guy out there mm-hmm. that had big eyes and stuff. But it's like they made that direct connection between the classic. Yeah. I mean, we're talking the classic alien. Mm-hmm. You know that we we've seen a million times, which could end up being a reason why people try to dismiss the story. But we'll get to that get to that later. Yeah, and we'll also talk more about why they possibly visited children specifically. And I mean, their stories do vary to some degree. Like some children report just seeing one alien, other kids saw as many as four, and some kids report seeing just one spacecraft hovering in the bushes, but other kids describe seeing other smaller crafts kind of flying around above. But obviously there's gonna be some differentiation in their stories. That's how it always is with any type of eyewitness account. It's well, and, people, and you know? people like play off of each other mm-hmm. too. You know, if you mm-hmm. hear somebody else say something, then right, a little bit yeah. of their story becomes part of your story. But the main bit, you know, is very consistent across the board. So some of the kids, especially the younger ones, were actually scared when they witnessed the UFO and the aliens. I can imagine I would have been terrified. And some of the kids actually started to run away and cry. Some of the students darted over to the tuck shop after they saw the UFO, and they excitedly told their volunteer mother that there was a small man running around with a band around his head and in a one-piece suit. And at first, the mother didn't buy what the kids were saying. She thought the story was just a trick to get her out of the shop. That way, the kids could grab some sweets or even money from the register. So she told the kids that she wouldn't leave the shop, even though many of them were hysterical. She's really sticking to it there. Doesn't want anything getting stolen. But many of the older kids who stayed behind were more intrigued than afraid. 
and they stayed back to look at this mysterious spacecraft, and they were in awe of what they were seeing. And at first, some kids thought that the alien was really just a short black man. But when they got closer and looked at the being, they knew that it wasn't human. The kids saw multiple beings come outside the saucer and stare at them, and the aliens were short. One child said that they were about the size of a sixth grader. The beings had large eyes that one child described as being six times the size of a human eye. And that's the other thing that really does it for me too is they've had these kids like sketch out what they saw. And they look so similar. And all the beings end up looking very similar. They have that kind of like elongated head, the large Mm -hmm. eyes. And none of them could even speak because they were so mesmerized by the sight of these otherworldly creatures and their huge eyes. The beings had very small noses or no noses at all, and their mouths were tiny, like a small straight slit. And if the beings had ears, the kids said that they could barely see them. Here's a clip of one of the girls describing what she saw that day. Um, we were playing down over there on the, um, on the log. Yeah. And then we saw something shiny, so we all ran down over there. And it was in the early morning? It was at break time. Yeah. And then we saw something shiny. And we saw two, two people. They were in black, tight black suit. And they had big eyes. And a small, we didn't actually see their nose. But it was quite small. And their mouth was quite small as well. One of them was running in slow motion up across the ship. And the other one was standing beside the ship. Yeah, you made a drawing, huh? It looked like this? No, yeah, something yeah. like that. I couldn't see the eyes or the nose or the mouth. It was just blank. They're so well-spoken for their Mm -hmm. age. They seem so smart. Speak better than us. I know, for sure. (laughs) So some kids believe that these beings were tokoloshes. 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 That's an interesting word. I've never heard that before. But they are basically evil goblin spirits in many South African tribes' mythology. And these kids immediately burst into tears when they thought that these beings were there and could possibly eat them. Some children described the beings as wearing all black, like a scuba suit. Some of them said that they had long hair and pale gray skin, and the beings were either standing on top of the craft or standing just beside it. Here are some kids describing the encounter as a group. You saw one UFO that's surrounded by little ones? Yeah, one yeah, big one. One spaceship. Yeah, yeah let me see. Let me see your drawing. One big, well, one big ship, and then small ones surrounding it with, um, with there were lights. Yeah. Surrounding the ship. Like uh, Sean's, huh? This is Sean's drawing. Yes. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and okay, one landed. The big one landed, and the and two aliens the, came out. Yes. And what All happened with the little ones? The little, little ones, they were just flowing around in the air. They didn't touch yeah, the they ground. Touch the ground. The and and, and that, these made the silver lights? Yeah. They yeah, were yeah. making different color lights, like yeah, green, like they'd red. they'd flash to green, blue. then they'd go to blue, blue and, and then they'd go yeah, yeah, purple and um, red. But it was like it was going like each one to each one, but quickly. Yeah, like, yeah, like, like, like you go, like they'll go there and then it'll vanish, and then it'll go there and vanish, and then vanish. And then vanish. Oh, really? But going quickly. Like as if it was one ship moving. <laughs> yeah. Okay, can this uh, drawing? Come on. Come on. Were they yellow? No. I didn't have a silver crayon, um, <laughs> so I did it yeah. yellow. I mean, you cannot tell me those kids are lying. 
in unison like that, kind of coming up with things off, you know? Yeah, I mean... And they're all in agreement about it. Otherwise, they're the, the smartest little liars ever. <laughs> I know, like, trained actors can't <laughs> yeah, lie that well yeah. sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's good. It's really, really... I don't know. It sells it for me that it's children. Yeah, it seems like the other craft appeared as like orbs, like mm-hmm. almost like color changing orbs that were just kind of glowing yeah. there. Which we, which is interesting because it's like the way that I've kind of learned to understand it is, you know, they, these craft are able to move between dimensions essentially, and so when they're kind of, kind of in an in between state, so they haven't fully materialized into, you know, our our reality i guess mm-hmm. they appear as these orbs that's kind of how they travel and then when they want to materialize into our world they actually turn into like a, a mm-hmm. physical craft mm-hmm. uh that we can all see but otherwise they appear as these orbs yeah. um kind of when they travel and move around that's why when usually when they're flying around in the sky and stuff they're seen as like glowing or maybe we're glowing seeing orbs like through a different dimension yeah, that makes sense. yeah, it could be just what we're able to see yeah. from this dimension. Right. Kind of like looking through a window. So at one point during their encounter, the beings started telepathically beaming a message to these children. And the kids say that thoughts literally just appeared into their heads when they looked at these beings. And they hadn't ever had these thoughts before. They just appeared out of nowhere. And they told them that they needed to take better care of the planet. And the message seemed to you know, kind of vary from child to child, but the general theme of these messages was environmentalism, taking care of our planet and also concern about technology as well. Yeah, interesting. We could be heading in a bad direction. and Which just tells me that whoever these beings are have been are observing. You mm-hmm. know, they're here to observe oh, and collect clearly. data and perhaps they, and, and again, it comes back to, I feel like they saw this group of children and they're yeah. like, no, you know, no adults nearby that are going to try to do something crazy to us. So mm-hmm. we're going to try to communicate with them and get the message across through them, since these children are just so, you know, innocent and mm-hmm. don't know really it's don't know any better. Probably the safest beings yeah. to approach yeah. on the earth that aren't going to try to yeah. exploit it or, you know, take a picture. Or, you know, they're they're much more in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, I think it's because, you know, it's the next generation that maybe they thought going to the youngest generation was the smartest way to get the message across that things need to change. Well, back in 1994, like, I mean, they were a little bit older than us, but not by much. Yeah. You know, we were born in 93, 94. Yeah. So obviously we were newborns then, but these kids are only like maybe 10 years old. Right. Um. So it is, you know, kind of roughly, I feel like that time when technology is really starting to take yeah. off and things are starting to yeah. get a little yeah. more frightening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right yeah, around, this is right around the like, start of the internet right yeah exactly and mm-hmm. the world completely changed once the internet came along so so here are some of the kids describing the message maybe they're trying to communicate with us show us something which we don't know about i think they want um people to know that we're actually making harm on this world and we mustn't get too technologized. we don't look after the planet um all the trees will just go down and and there will be no air and people will be dying. One child reported that the aliens actually told him about something that's going to happen and that pollution mustn't be. And that was another interesting thing about the messages. The kids felt like the aliens were warning them that something was going to happen unless humanity changed. And, you know, they always say 
change starts with the children, the next generation. So I, I really think that's why they might have chosen to visit them because they were young and they have time to grow up and possibly fix Earth. Here's another clip of the children explaining the messages that they got from aliens and why they think they were visited. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think the aliens came because they are curious like us and, um, well, they want to learn about us and we want to learn about them. Some people say that um, people are saying that the aliens came to warn us something's going to happen, that something bad is going to happen to the Earth. Yeah. I think they came here to um, try and warn us that the children, because we're, that young. Are, we're young, got a long time. we've got a long time till we die, um, to warn us that in, when we're older, there's, there's something going to happen to the Earth. Yeah, not to pollute, because yeah. we're young, we can still prevent it. Yeah. They're so smart. They're so mature and well spoken. I can't believe it. They're not at all confused by what just happened to them either. I mean, I know. I feel like kids here in the United States might have been like, Mm. I didn't retain any of that. I was just like, maybe it's kids before the internet. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, maybe the The internet technology is making us dumb. It's thinking for us if you think about it. Isn't that interesting to think about too? That these beings are warning us about technology when they're clearly arriving in super advanced technology. Yeah, but they're concerned but, about it. And why? Well, I mean, I think, you know, the concern about where technology is going, like using mm-hmm. technology to pollute the earth as opposed to save the earth. You know what I mean? Like which which direction we were taking technology at the time. And maybe they're seeing it going in a bad direction. But also with a lot of the, you know, the theory at least out there is that it's not just like these guys have a super duper spaceship that they fly around in. And that's the actual method for travel that it's way beyond that it's spiritual it's it's higher levels of consciousness it's you know it's just materializing as this yeah exactly it's like that's how it's appearing to us but Mm. it might not actually be like a physical you know a physical thing it could have been something that was hmm. what if it is and they're really coming i was thinking about it what if they're coming from a planet that has been negatively impacted by technology And they're trying to warn us so that the same thing doesn't happen to us. And maybe their spaceship is all they have left. And they're just flying around without a home because their planet's been destroyed. That was kind of my thought of like, what if they've experienced, you know, what they're warning us about? Yeah. And through that, they've learned that they need to come and try and like save other Mm -hmm. civilizations. And what if we're on that path too of like right now we see destruction, but in order to be able to like get beyond that and help that we almost have to destroy our own selves and that teaches us you know the true like meaning of life or whatever you know like mm-hmm. how what we have what to learn really supposed to do massive yeah. lesson yeah that's uh, what i was thinking mm-hmm. i have a theory let me see what you think of this theory so my theory is and this is just based on learning about tons and tons of ufo alien encounters but major connection between all of them for the most part other than a few out there that i think are a little uh lean a little bit more towards bullshit but the ones that are more legitimate as far as encounters go. as far as encounters go and like abductions and things like that mm-hmm. the aliens are almost described in the same way mm-hmm. and the aliens to me seem to be what we've kind of coined the gray aliens you know they're these small mm-hmm. the guys you know the Dark classic suits. aliens yeah. exactly mm-hmm. they wear these spacesuits. my theory is that these gray aliens have perhaps been on the earth whether they're physically living on the earth whether it's in the or maybe they have a base here or a new home that they've created but they are originally from mars and what mm-hmm. happened on mars is that they had this big civilization on mars and then one day there was some type of 
nuclear, nuclear. holocaust there that yeah. completely wiped out their civilization mm -hmm. and whatever is left of their species left Mars came here. This is the closest planet. And now they now these gray aliens reside here on Earth. I, I think personally they have some type of underwater insulation in the oceans. I think they're hiding in the oceans. That's where they are, and then they come out to observe yeah. or there there's something going on with the moon. But I think it, to me it it explains Mm -hmm. why we're all seeing the same aliens and why they're you know and it could be a, a reason for why their messages you know we're watching we're trying to warn you yeah that you guys are heading to and i mean look at where we're at especially in the current current state of the world yeah. right now it's like there's always this looming fear of this nuclear holocaust happening you know and this is a theory that we have gone back to i feel like so many times when we've talked about ufo encounters on this show is the idea you know that something happened with mars and that maybe they are living here and that they're speaking and warning us from experience right right no, um, mars was wiped out because what's the alternative that they're able to see into the future and they know that something's going to happen to us and they're trying to prevent it or are they really just speaking from experience and they don't know what's to come or is the future still unwritten we can still make a difference i don't know it's really confusing to think yeah i mean about. there's there's a couple other theories that i'll bring up but i'll wait till the end because okay they're a little little out there but okay there is some other reason, some other reasons for their intentions and what they're actually trying to do. So after the children receive these telepathic messages from these alien beings, the craft either faded away, flew away, or just disappeared. Some of the aliens were left behind, or they were all taken away. But this entire encounter lasted no more than 15 minutes, and the kids were just all blown away by what they had just seen. After the incident, the kids went back inside to go back to class, and many of the kids were really just jazzed up after the incident and they excitedly told the staff at the school what they had just seen the teachers were very skeptical of the children's stories as you can probably imagine and they pretty much dismissed the kids as having overactive imaginations which is always the the go-to i feel like from there they basically told the kids to quit their babbling and classes went on for the day but when kids went home after school they told their parents and relatives about what had happened on the schoolyard that day we've got another clip of the kids talking about how their parents and teachers reacted to the news of their encounter. My friends and I, we, we ran down to the teachers and we went into the office and we started telling the teachers and then they said maybe there's nothing. And how did that make you feel when they said maybe there's nothing? Well, we felt very sad because we did see something. And what did the headmaster say, Mr. Mackey? Mr. Mackey said that maybe there was something down there, but he didn't really know. But the children can't lie. They tell the truth. When I went home the day after this incident had happened, I told my mom, and she said, actually, I don't believe you, but I can't really say yes and no, but she said, I, I really don't think I believe you. And then um, she said, my dad came home, and I told him all about this, and he said it was probably just a rumor. I felt really upset because I knew that it was true. I don't want to forget about it. I want to keep it in because I knew that it was true. I can kind of see where the parents are coming from, right? Like, if your kid came home and was like, yo, I saw an alien. Like, yeah. I would definitely be like, okay. Did you? Like, did you really? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, mm -hmm. if Holly comes home years don't ask from me now. This. Oh, God. Josh would be like, yeah. really? I believe you applies. But, like, <laughs> if obviously kids have a crazy imagination yeah. and, like, People, you know, rumors are spread around school mm -hmm. and stuff and mm -hmm. messages get twisted. And so yeah. I couldn't I can understand how it, as an as a parent, it'd be a little like, yeah, mm, I don't know about that. You yes, know, I definitely agree with that. Well, especially if you're 
not at all versed in UFOs or, you mm-hmm. know, you have ever dealt yeah, in that world. I mean, then. most people who haven't think it's all bullshit and think mm-hmm. it's all just, you know, it's all hoaxes. It's, you know, they don't think that it's real yeah. at all. But if you are versed, I feel like you might have a different reaction to your child saying that. Well, and if it's just your child coming home and saying something, it's a little different than seeing this group of kids all in unison saying the mm-hmm. same. Ex- they've, you know, talking about their experience like as a group together. talking yeah. about it versus, versus like just your one kid saying you'd be like, OK, yeah, sure. You did. Right. Anyway, <laughs> what they put in your food at lunch today. But earlier in the day around lunchtime, some parents had picked their kids up from school. And when their kids told them about what had happened, those parents went to check out the supposed landing site themselves. And some of the children's family members were just as skeptical as the teachers. But other family members didn't dismiss the stories as quickly. We've got a clip of a student talking about what her mother and some others saw at the landing spot. And we'll also play footage of one child talking about who in his family believed what he saw that day. Where the spaceship had landed, all the, the insects and ants and stuff like that were all dead. And there was a huge black mark there. And... Uh, my mom said might have just been a might have just been a fire there, but I don't think there was. I think it was the alien ship. Yeah, but have you have gone to the place, of course, and have you seen anything? No, we, we weren't allowed. The evidence? I mean, that it was there. Um, no, some other people came to the school, and they went out the boundary of the playground, and they went to go and see what had happened there, and they saw that. The grass was burnt and all the living things had died there in that area. His, him and his parents and his brother and sister all believed me. And my mother just believed me, but my dad didn't believe anything I said. Anything. And did you describe it, uh, describe it to them? Exactly what happened? Yeah, and I drew it on a paper and I said, Daddy, this is what it looked like. And then he saw it well and he said, uh, Michael, I think you're telling the truth now. And then that's all he said of it, and that's all. Who was scared? Not all of you, huh? Who who was dreaming about it since then? Yes, yes. In in, in a bad way? way. Yeah, in a bad way? No, let me tell me first in a bad way. Why? You have nightmares about it? Yes, I used to, but then after about a year, I stopped dreaming about it. As you can imagine, when a lot of these kids came home, started telling their parents what had happened on the schoolyard that day. Some of those parents were like, I'm calling the school to figure out what yeah. the hell's going on over there. Mm-hmm. Because some of their kids had really come home freaked out and they wanted answers. And when all the calls came in, the teachers started to get really freaked out too. Cause it's like, it's almost like, Oh shit, maybe we should have taken what they saw more seriously and what they were telling the teachers yeah. after they came back in. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break and thank our sponsors. We'll be right back and we'll be jumping into more interviews, the investigation into what it might have been that landed on the schoolyard that day. We'll be right back. As many of you might already know, Kendall and I have three cats, Meatball, Tucker, and Lily. We love them dearly. They are total goofballs, but something I've always counted on to help me out in that department is Pretty Litter. It's the only cat litter I'll ever use from now on, and here's why. Pretty Litter crystals change color to detect early signs of potential illness like metabolic acidosis, which can cause diabetes, urinary tract infections, kidney issues, and more. Which if you've ever had a cat before, 
it's harder to detect signs of illness in cats than it is dogs, just plain and simple. So to have that peace of mind that if there's a potential issue with one of my cats that I may actually get first signs of an issue via Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter is also ultra absorbent and instantly traps odor. Nobody likes to smell cat poop or cat pee, but Pretty Litter takes care of it no problem. It's also lightweight, dust-free, and works for up to a month without clumping. That means no more wasting litter. As somebody with asthma, I also love the fact that it's dust-free. Nothing was worse than scooping clay litter and getting a bunch of nasty dust in my face and mouth. Plus, Pretty Litter ships free to my door in a small lightweight bag. I never run out and I don't have to have a massive container of litter taking up space. I think the number one reason I use Pretty Litter is the health indicators. That is such a cool technology that only Pretty Litter offers. And obviously, Crystal Litter is so much better for my health and my cat's health as opposed to clay litter. And I can use less, save money, and ultimately, my cats and I win in the end. Once you try Pretty Litter, it'll be the only litter you ever use. Go to prettylitter.com slash to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash to save 20% on your first order. Check it out today. prettylitter.com slash milehire. Did you know one out of every eight couples struggle with infertility? Seriously, that's a staggering statistic. And it's something a lot of people don't know about or aren't ready to talk about, but we need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves in the future. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones right at home with a simple finger prick. Then you mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within six business days. And you'll get insight into your hormone levels like your ovarian reserve, which will tell you if you have more or fewer eggs than the average person your age and other important factors that can impact your fertility. And the results go deep into what every hormone means. And you can also download the results and review them with your doctor for next steps. Traditional hormone testing at a fertility clinic can cost over $600, but Modern Fertility tests the same general set of hormones at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash milehire30, you can get $30 off your test. Plus, you can get reimbursed for the test through your FSA or HSA. So if you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, clinically sound info about your body can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $30 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash milehire30. This is a limited time offer for $30 off, and that means your test will only cost $139. Hormone testing at a fertility clinic can cost as much as three times that. So get $30 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash milehire30. That's modernfertility.com slash milehire30. So while these kids are telling their parents what they saw, all the teachers and everyone are trying to make sense of this, ZBC and BBC were still asking people to call in with their reported UFO sightings from the September 14th light show. And someone who knew about the incident at the aerial school called up the BBC and reported what they knew. That got a journalist named Tim Leach interested. Tim was an African news correspondent for the BBC. And when he heard about the story, he knew that the kids needed to be interviewed. It was around 2 p.m. on the 16th when Tim found out about the incident. So it had literally just happened hours before. And around this time, Tim Leach called up his friend, which is a woman named Cynthia Hind. And because he knew that she was really into UFOs, he knew that she was going to take a huge interest in this. And that's where the next round of interviews and the infamous drawings came from. So for a little background, Cynthia Hind was a field investigator and the Zimbabwe representative for MUFON, which is the Mutual UFO Network. She was also the editor of her own periodical 
called UFO Afro News. Cynthia had been a UFO researcher for over 20 years by 1994. Whenever there was a notable UFO encounter or a sighting in Africa, she didn't hesitate to drive or fly out to investigate it. To investigate the sightings, she used a few different methods, including tools called Geiger counters. Geiger counters measure how radioactive a particular object or area is. And it's thought of by many UFOologists that UFOs are radioactive or the crafts leave behind radioactive traces. We've talked a lot about this in the past, especially when we've looked at crop circles. So when Tim Leach called Cynthia and told her about the aerial school incident, she was instantly hooked. She knew she needed to get out there and interview the kids herself. Cynthia also recommended that Tim Leach call up a UFO researcher named Dr. John Mack, and we'll get more into him later. Anyway, on the 17th and 18th, Cynthia called up the woman who was working at the school's tuck shop and talked to her about the incident. She also talked to three kids who claimed that they saw the aliens. Then she called up the school's headmaster, Mr. Mackey, and suggested that they have the kids draw up what they witnessed. So when Monday the 19th rolled around, the kids returned to the aerial school after the weekend, and Mr. Mackey did just that. The 60-something kids who saw the aliens got to work, drawing out exactly what they had seen that morning. Then around noon, Tim Leach arrived at the school with a camera crew, and he taped an interview with Mr. Mackey and three kids who witnessed the incident. It was the first interview the kids had done with the media. And here's a clip from that interview. Could you tell me what you saw on, on Friday? Um, well, we saw some people. There, were, there was a white one, a red one, and a black one. And the black one was sitting on the spaceship. How do you know it was a spaceship? Wasn't it a helicopter or something like that? Yeah. Well, it looked like it was like glinting in the trees. Like it looked like round about like a, like a disc, like a round. And whereabouts was it? It was in the, in the trees over there, between the third pole. And, and you say it looked like a disc. Are you sure yeah. it wasn't a, um, a Harrier jump jet or a, an aircraft? No. Something that the Zimbabwe it, Air Force had got? It was like in a, in a disc. And, and what, just what happened, Guy? Well, it, it was just glinting in the trees. And this, like, there was a man and he walked towards us and he walked back again. And what does he look like? His, his face was like this, and his eyes were down here. Like, what, further down his face? Yeah, much further down than us, because our eyes are here, his are down. And how close were you to him? Well, I was like, the, I was at the back, because I had just been finished in the classroom, and I was quite at the back. So, all the other kids were in the front. You don't think it was somebody in fancy dress, doing a prank no. or something? What about you, Ariana? Tell us what you saw. Well, I saw the same as Guy, but um, I saw this like one under silver glittery thing. I saw this like black, like black long. It looks like a stick, but it was very thin. It was, it was a man, was it? I don't know what it was, but it was very thin. All I saw was like a, a long thing, and on 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 a like a silver thing, and he was very. Very, very thin. What? I mean, it, it wasn't... Do you think he was a sort of a, a black Zimbabwean man? Well, not, not really. He wasn't very, very dark. He was very, quite lightish. And he was very thin. 
That is. And how that, tall about? About, say there. Just a bit, a bit taller than you. Well, yeah. So then the next day, Tim Leach and his camera crew came back to the school again. And this time he brought along Cynthia Hind. And she and the headmaster went on to examine all the drawings that the children had made. She took the 22 clearest drawings and photocopied them for her records. Then it was time to interview the kids. Here's a clip from the interview that she did with the kids. And in this clip, the girls talk about any possible outside influence they may have had. I saw, um, I saw the little black men. They, were, they had long, longish hair and it was all black. And they had big black eyes. That's all I saw. I saw a glimpse. They kind of turned around and stared and then went back into a kind of like ship. It kind there was like sort of one big one with quite a few little ones well. all scattered around. When you say they had big eyes, show me with your hands the size compared to They were oval, kind of like that. Oval? Yes. I see. And could you see anything else on the face? No, I couldn't. All as I could see was his hair and when he turned around and then he... Were you afraid? Yes, I was. What did you think it was? Well, everybody was saying that there were UFOs and everything, so... No, other people I, said there were UFOs? Yeah, um, people were coming around telling... Um, we were in the classroom and I ran out and I saw it. They, I did think they were UFOs. I did see them. You were, were you perhaps influenced by what the other children had said? Sort of, but I did definitely see what you saw. What I saw, yes. Some of the kids reported that the day before the incident, they'd actually seen an odd spacecraft in the sky while they were playing on the schoolyard. And the object was sort of shaped like a circle, a pencil, or a cigarette. And it had a flashing light at one end. Here's a clip of one girl describing her experience from the day before. Um, the day before the spaceship came, my friends and I we were sitting um, in the playground and uh, one of my friends, her name Emily, she looked up into the sky and she said, oh, there's a UFO. She said, and I looked at it and she said, no, just kidding, it's an airplane. And we looked up and um, I thought to myself, that can't be an airplane because it was very shiny. It, was, it looked kind of like a cigarette, you know? It was a long thing and then on the end it was all shiny. And um, so I said, maybe it is a UFO. So we were all kind of like getting scared now. And then um, the day that it happened, then we started thinking, yeah, there must have been a UFO in the sky. Because my brother also saw it, but he's left the school now. And here's another child talking about what he saw Thursday and Friday. Well, the night before, I saw the cigar-shaped spacecraft. But I've got it in my picture, but it, it wasn't exactly like a cigar shape. I thought it was a circle. And the day after that, I saw it in the air again with my friends, Farai uh, and Barry. What did you see that, that morning here at the school? Well, my f these other children were running. I asked them what it was, and they said it was a UFO. And I ran with them to the, the logs over there. Then, then I, saw, I saw one person sitting on top of the ship and guarding it and another one running up and down like he was confused. And he was actually looking at us, but some people said there's another property over there right at the back. It's Mrs. Nurse's property. Some people say that it was Mrs. Nurse's gardener. Some people say that it was a house over there, but I don't believe that because I saw. I went up with the BBC and as you know already from the ancestor thing, 
were all dead, some of them. He said there was radiation marks, but... So after these interviews, Cynthia and her team went out to inspect the landing site, and they also used a Geiger counter to check the radiation levels out there, but all the readings came back normal. I question the readings because the Geiger counter they used was homemade. Oh, really? They didn't have access to like a legit a nice DIY one. situation. Yeah, yeah, it was a DIY See. Geiger See. counter, which I'm like, eh, mm. I don't mm. know if we can trust that. That's true. But their investigation of the site did show that there was an oval-shaped imprint in the grass where the kids said the craft had landed. Another, were, another interesting thing, sorry to jump in there, but if you look at the pictures of this area, it looks like the grass has been laid down, not broken, but laid down, which is similar to yeah, what? that is. Crop circles. Mm-hmm. Kind of bent. Right, they bend it, but it's not actually, like you don't see a bunch of like broken pieces. Right. It looks like it's just been kind of like something laid Push. down on it and just flattened it. There was also wedge-shaped impressions in the soil. And this may have come from the ship's legs when it landed on solid ground. So despite all of this, the headmaster still didn't seem convinced that the kids had actually seen anything. By the end of that day, he wrote to the parents and told them not to buy into the current media hype as word was spreading fast and the story was quickly becoming a media circus. Here's the headmaster giving BBC his thoughts. You're headmaster of Ariel School. Tell me, what, what, what do you think of all this? Um, I feel sure that the children feel that they did see something. Um, I don't believe or disbelieve, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I do feel that they definitely saw something. We had a number of children say they did. We asked them to draw pictures of what they saw this morning, uh, what they saw on Friday. And um, after looking at those, I definitely feel that they did see something. I agree that it could be something that we um, are not common with. Um, but to actually say that it was a UFO, I would be uh, reluctant to make a decision like that. But Cynthia, the MUFON investigator, believed that the kids' sightings were credible. She said that if all their stories had been exactly the same, then that would be evidence that they collaborated to create the story. While the kids' accounts of the encounter varied slightly on some of the details, the main story was consistently the same for each child. This would mean that the kids were telling a story from their viewpoint and memory which isn't always perfectly accurate. However, she interviewed the children in groups of two to six, and the other children were allowed to watch and listen to each group while they were interviewed. So there is a possibility that this could have influenced their memories and retellings or made the interviews generally less reliable. She was also the one that popularized the idea that the children all came from farms and weren't exposed to popular media. But like we said before, the kids came from well-to-do families. So they probably would have had the exact same exposure to media as any other kid in a big city. Anyway. In the following weeks, the kids were interviewed by at least two other media outlets, the South African Broadcasting Corporation, or SABC, and the ZBC. But the next notable round of interviews came later that year in November, and they were conducted by Dr. John Mack. Dr. John Mack is a huge part of this story. Reason being, he was a Pulitzer Prize winning author and a Harvard University professor of psychiatry, so very, very intelligent guy. He wrote the best-selling book, Abduction, Human Encounters with Aliens, and later on the book Passport to the Cosmos. He was very well respected in his field, but when he started getting into alien abduction research in the early 1990s, he started to struggle professionally. Here's a clip of John talking about how he went from a skeptic to a believer, and why. When it came to this issue of alien abductions, 
What changed your thinking? Yeah, when I first heard about Bud Hopkins, as the, who was the pioneer researcher here, and that he took seriously these stories of people who reported being abducted, I thought there must be something wrong with him, and probably these people were suffering from some new form of mental illness. But in the past four years, I've worked now with approximately 90 people who've had these experiences, and they tell a very similar story. And initially, at least in the early years, they hadn't been in communication with each other. They were deeply distressed by their experiences. The experiences were reported in great detail. Uh, they were uh, complex narratives of being taken by alien beings into UFOs on beams of light. Uh, they, they were embarrassed, ashamed to come forward about it. Uh, and you these, don't think these were wild dreams, not hallucinations? Not at all. These are very solid people, uh, healthy, mm. mentally healthy uh, people. Uh, and uh, the only thing I knew that behaves like that is real experience. This is not the way dreams behave. This is not the way mental illness behaves. It's not the way fantasy behaves. Some kind of real experience is occurring to these people. But if this is a real experience, that is some kind of entities, beings, intelligences are entering our world and affecting hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people, according to polls, then this is something really worth looking at. So that's what I've been trying to do is get people at least look at it, think about it. John Mack was placed under investigation by Harvard University for his work on people who reported having UFO encounters. The university's alleged issue with John was that he was telling these patients that their experiences were 100% real. The university also took issue with a lot of the claims that John made in his first book. By the spring of 1994, an investigation into his conduct was underway. One of his colleagues commented that John was a quote-unquote brilliant fellow who occasionally loses it, and this time, he's lost it big time. In the end, the Harvard investigation failed to successfully boot John out of his position, but still it definitely affected his career. He decided to keep going with his research on alien abductions anyway. To him, it seemed like the school took issue with the suggestions in his book Abduction, and the book he suggested that his research findings might have required a change in the way people view reality. Funny how that works, huh? Mm -hmm. But John thought the school really wanted him to say that he discovered some sort of new psychiatric condition and that all of those supposed abductees were suffering from it. Even though many of John's peers distanced themselves from him, he didn't stop pursuing his research. Here's John Mack talking about why he had a dispute with Carl Sagan, actually. You had a falling out with Carl Sagan over this whole issue. Well, not really a falling out. I, I mean, I think the, what, uh, the difference between Carl Sagan and myself around this is perhaps at the root of the struggle that's going on about the society. We're opening up now to other realities, but Carl Sagan and many other scientists uh, are holding to the notion that the only reality that exists is this physical world that we can see with our uh, five senses and that anything... Beyond that, to say it exists, you have to have a piece of dinner plate off of a UFO or something like that. And I'm saying, no, there are realities that are just as powerful, just as real as this one. Other cultures have known this mm -hmm. besides ours. Almost a and, spiritual dimension. Well, or at least something, at. as the abductees put it, another realm beyond the veil, they say, which mm -hmm. is now entering into our world. So we really have no category in, in our culture. We're opening to it now uh, for something that comes from some other dimension, but manifests physically in our world. that crosses that sacred divide we've kept so far apart from. By the middle of 1994, John was making plans to travel to Africa in the fall to research UFO encounters there. He decided to start his trip in South Africa, but then he heard about the aerial school encounter from Tim Leach just as he was about to leave for his trip. So he changed his plans and decided to start in Zimbabwe instead. That November, John chartered a plane and headed to Zimbabwe to interview the children himself. 
He interviewed 12 of the kids on December 2nd and December 3rd, as well as the headmaster and some teachers. John Mack actually became sort of a redeeming figure to the kids. A lot of them had been struggling since the encounter. Many of their parents, teachers, and family members still didn't believe them, thought they were making it all up. And that made them feel incredibly alone and frustrated. They weren't able to fully process and accept the experience. For many of them, the encounter was really scary. They were worried that the aliens would come back for them, and their anxiety got so bad that they started to have nightmares. However, some kids weren't affected as negatively. Here's a clip of the kids talking about some of the lingering effects of this UFO encounter. Who was scared? Not all of you, huh? Who, who, who was dreaming about it since then? Yes, yes. In, in, in a bad way? Yeah, in a bad way? No, let me tell me in first in a bad way. Why? You have nightmares about it? Yes, I used to, but then after about a year, I stopped dreaming about it. Mm -hmm. I dreamt that um, the same one I saw without hair, he came into my bedroom and he took me from my bed. Did you dream that? Yes. Yeah. And then I just screamed. I woke up and screamed. And what did your mom say? Well, she, she just kept on saying it was a nightmare. She didn't really believe me. I wasn't scared a bit. <laughs> no? Not at all? Nothing. It was all fun to yeah. me. Um, I heard this lady on TV, I think it was Jill Dark, and she said this lady got kidnapped and she had babies that were aliens. Alien babies. Reminds me of Love and Saucers. Oh, David. Mm-hmm. Interesting. When Cynthia interviewed the kids, one of them had told her, well, if they don't believe me, there's nothing I can do about that, but I'll keep it all inside of me. So, but, but what, what happened? You, you came home and you told your parents. Yes. Is that hard? Because if you see something and nobody believes you, yes. what happens? You start to think as if it wasn't true. Yeah. And people, people say to you, no, it wasn't true. So you, th you think it wasn't true. Then well. you think that you're mad. Yeah. Yeah. And after that, you get all upset. Yeah, and everyone starts teasing. And my friends over the road, when I go there and I tell them about it, they just say, oh, he believes in aliens. Oh, he's stupid. You've seen too many but, movies. Yeah. John Mack, on the other hand, explained to the parents and teachers that even if they didn't believe the kids saw what they say they did, it would hurt them more to accuse them of lying. He was finally able to convince them to truly hear the kids out. Even the headmaster became convinced that the kids really did see something in the field that day. But the interviews with the kids themselves were extremely interesting to John. These interviews were the first time that the kids actually talked about the telepathic messages that they had received from these aliens. Again, the theme of these messages were environmentalism, and they were all about taking care of the earth. Got a clip of a girl talking to John about the message she received. What I thought was maybe the world's going to end. Maybe they're telling us the world's going to end. Why do you think they might want us to be scared? Because um, we, maybe because we never we don't look after the planet and the area properly. Mm -hmm. And really, this is is this an idea that uh, you have had before that we don't look after the planet properly in the air or did this idea come to you 
when you had this experience? When I had this experience. Mm -hmm. And how did that idea come to you from this experience? This is a little hard, but try, try to be with me here, okay? When you, how did this idea come to you when you had this experience? I just felt all horrible inside. You felt horrible. At what point did you feel that? When you saw the craft or at, when you got home at night? Or when I got home. You had that horrible feeling when you got home? Yes. And say more about that horrible feeling, Lisa. What was it like? It was like in the world, all the trees would just go down and, and there would be no air and people would be dying. Mm-hmm. And those thoughts came to you, had you had those thoughts before this experience? No. No. And did, how did those thoughts come to you? Did they come to you from the craft or from... From the man. The man. And the man, did the man say those things to you? Uh, how did he get that across to you? Well, he never said anything. It's just that the face is the eyes. Well, what was the sense you got from those eyes? He was interested. So John was really struck by all these revelations because they matched up exactly with his prior research on alien encounters and abductions. And many of the people he talked to that reported encountering aliens said that they received similar messages too. The messages from the aliens were clear and unmistakable. Humans needed to protect the earth better. It was a warning that humans could irreparably damage our home if we don't change our ways. After the John Mack interviews, the kids were interviewed again by a Dutch media outlet in 1996. So this is the interview where a group of kids are sitting outside in the grass talking about the event. And one of John Mack's colleagues interviewed some of the kids again in 1997. But after that, the kids weren't really interviewed again until they became adults. And that's where this gets really interesting. In 2007, a UFO researcher named Randall Nickerson began a new project, a documentary about the aerial school phenomenon. He was actually a former patient of John Max, and he spent years creating the documentary and interviewing the kids, who were now fully grown adults at this point. And he even brought some of them back to the school itself. The documentary was released in 2022 after over a decade of production, and it's titled Aerial Phenomenon. Now, this is available. I can't remember how exactly people Only can through watch their it. website. Right, right. Yeah. And it's a little pricey for a three-day rental. How much is it like? 15 bucks. 15 bucks. But, you know, supporting independent film, and it's really interesting to hear all these interviews. So if you're interested in this event, I definitely recommend yeah, checking we'll, that we'll out. Yeah, we'll link it for you. Mm-hmm. So most of the kids who experienced the UFO encounter ended up leaving Zimbabwe later on. And in 2014, a journalist tracked down a woman named Sarah who saw the aliens back in 1994. Sarah thought she was the only one of these kids who grew up and stayed in Zimbabwe. She said everyone's fucked off to Canada or the UK or died. So many of the kids grew up and were sort of haunted by the event. They felt isolated and alone, like nobody believed them. Some of them have found an outlet in creating art about their experiences, and many of them still keep in touch with each other today. They even have their own Facebook group where they talk about their experience and share life updates. Here's a mother and one of the students reflecting on the experience. So I was there when they were interviewing them, 
and saw the, the way they were. It was just a huge big mess and muddle up and just people everywhere. Just ask them questions straight off without explaining to the children what they were doing and why they were doing it. It was chaos in terms of the media frenzy that was going on and us being so young and not even being allowed time to comprehend what we had seen. And some of the parents and teachers actually changed their mind about the encounter as time went on. They think that the kids saw something real and they're sorry for doubting them. Yeah, I said I wanted to apologize. I, want, I should have taken more notice, but I didn't. I was more concerned about me and not them than what was going on in my own sort of experience. And that's what, yeah. And if you could summarize in just one sentence what took place September 1994 here at Ariel School, Rue, Zimbabwe, what would you say? Aliens visited us. <laughs> and that's about it, yeah. And that's why if you believe it, you believe it. If you don't. You heard it there. Yeah. Aliens visited. And the kids still stand with the belief that what they saw was real. Even though it's hard to come to grips with it, they know what they saw. Here are some of the aerial children talking about their thoughts now that they're adults. You know that it's moving, but you... I stand by what I saw. There was no reason for any of us to make that up. I've not spoken to anybody about it. Not because I'm not proud of it, but because I don't want the, the stigma. So it's something that I've had to deal with for 19 and a half years. I don't want to say I felt like I knew it, but I knew that I didn't have to be afraid of it. They took us back to the moment of contact. Exactly how I felt, exactly. The details still seared into memory. I was with one of the other girls and saying to her, this is amazing. We all were just stopped in our tracks. A little man appeared on top of the actual craft. And that moment for me was very distinct because I was like, that's not human. I was just completely engulfed in these eyes. The eyes. And in that moment, however long it was, because I have no idea of the time frame, it was just, it was mesmerizing. There was no talking. Um, It's all just images in the head. It's very compelling that all of the kids who have now grown up and done interviews are on the same page, that they saw what they saw. There's not one in the group that's like, no, I think I was just a crazy kid with a huge imagination. You know, I mean, I don't know how you can deny these experiences. So unfortunately, Cynthia Hind died of cancer in August of 2000. On September 27th, 2004, John Mack was actually hit and killed by a drunk driver in London. He was 74 years old. Both John and Cynthia dutifully continued their research on UFOs until their deaths. So the aerial school is still open and filled with students today. Due to the government's land reform policies, all the wealthy white farm owners moved away. And now the student population is mostly black. The school has prospered and the amount of students there has increased. So the grounds have expanded. The dusty field where the kids saw the aliens back in 1994 has been converted into a soccer field. And to those at the aerial school now, the 1994 encounter is not much more than an odd piece of the school's history. It's been almost 30 years since the aerial school UFO incident. Today, it's known as one of the most famous and credible UFO sightings in history. 
Many people believe that the aerial school incident is proof that aliens have visited Earth. But other people believe the incident isn't a UFO encounter at all, and that it was a case of mistaken identity or mass hysteria. According to one study, at the time, many African school children were under such extreme pressure that mass hysteria had become virtually endemic. A mass hysteria event is an event where a group of people all suddenly begin to suffer from similar symptoms without a clear cause. These symptoms usually include things like fainting spells, screaming, vomiting, uncontrollable laughter, and hyperventilation. The primary cause of mass hysteria are things like pent-up stress and anxiety. And the incidents usually start with one person experiencing symptoms. And this person is known as the index case. Once the index case starts displaying symptoms, the other cases follow after they've seen or heard the index case's hysteria. Symptoms usually resolve after the affected individuals are separated from each other and told that the symptoms were imagined or non-existent. Typically, mass hysteria occurs more commonly in preteens and teenagers, and in groups of students, it's more common in girls than boys. And the most common cause of mass hysteria incidents is from stress from upcoming school exams. Coupled with pressure of exams, index cases and mass hysteria events usually are also suffering from other significant stressors, like social or family issues. That doesn't make sense for this. There's no way all. that this is mass hysteria. I mean, yeah, I think it's just an easy way to write it off, you know? Yeah. And just I think there would have been, you know, first of all, a lot of the kids are younger than, you know, mm-hmm. even like a preteen. I mean, some of them are real, real young. And then, yeah. you know, there was no reports of like hyperventilation, fainting spells. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think any of the kids fainted or anything like that. There wasn't reports of, oh, so-and-so started laughing or anything mm-hmm. like that, which maybe they wouldn't catch that. But, you know, and and in the documentary and any of the interviews, that doesn't even seem to come up at all. But I, I get, you know, maybe why this would even be considered. But another common theme in these hysteria cases was the idea that the incidents were caused in some way by Satanism or demonic possession. One of these cases was an incident at a South African boarding high school that happened in 1999. One day, 50 students started screaming, fainting, and having pseudo-seizures during the morning prayer. The school went into complete chaos, and all the students were quickly taken to the hospital. An investigation into the cause of the event started shortly after the incident. The investigation found multiple causes for the incident. The index case was a student who was having family problems, and many students at the school were stressed about the upcoming June exams. Plus, the students had reportedly been experiencing stressful living conditions in their living quarters. There had also been rumors floating around the school and the community that a nearby church had been practicing Satanism. Keep in mind, again, this was the late 90s, so the satanic panic had already started to spread globally, and in one 2009 case, waves of mass hysteria affected on average six students at a school in Zimbabwe every day. The students would begin to scream, collapse, and talk about having strange visions of snakes, crocodiles, and lions. The incident was blamed on evil spirits. Some community members called for the school to be closed and prayer sessions were held for the children. But after these sessions, the local reverend declared that everything had gone back to normal. There does seem to be pretty notable differences between these mass hysteria cases and the aerial school incident, which again, none of the kids reported any of the symptoms, vomiting, fainting, convulsing, pseudo-seizures, anything like that. Some of the kids during the aerial school event were pretty frightened by what they reportedly saw. Some of them started crying and running away, but obviously a lot different from screaming spells or uncontrollable laughter. 
plus mass hysteria events that spread out of nowhere and have no cause are a lot different than the aerial incident. The aerial incident had a clear focus, this reported UFO landing, and the kids' recollections of the incident were far more consistent than those of other mass hysteria events. But on the flip side, again, it's important to note that you know maybe the kids already had known about UFOs from TV movies, um, so that is something to keep in consideration. Some people have noted that the description of the aliens in the spacecraft that the kids gave were very similar to popular depictions of aliens and UFOs in TV and movies, but also there's correlations among other UFO mm-hmm. and abduction events. So if you, you know, it's it's hard because I feel like we like to think that it all originated in Hollywood and TV and movies, but no. maybe Hollywood took it from yes. actual events, right? Yes. Like real actual events. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's highly debatable, but that's just my thought. And again, the country at this time was in sort of a UFO fever after the events of the 14th. So it's very likely that some of these kids had actually heard about the strange occurrences over the TV or radio because this was just a big, big thing going on at the time. It is kind of interesting, though, because I was looking at mass hysteria Mm -hmm. and there are tons of events of it in Africa having to do with schools. And it makes me wonder why. Like Hmm. if it was aliens or something, maybe that kind of like ties into it. Like, could they be causing mass hysteria, you know, in these schools or something? Like, is there mm. some sort of correlation? Because it, it was crazy. Like, there's there's literally so many of them. There's ones from 1999 in uh, Eastern Cape of South Africa, 2002, 2009. They're all schools. Um, 2008. Like, there's just, wow. there was like a whole list of them. And it makes mm. me wonder why there's so many there versus maybe not as many in other concentrated areas of the world Hmm, not as many recent ones it looks like it kind of yeah stopped after 2008 well i guess then also like it's kind of up to for debate exactly what a mass Mm -hmm. hysteria event is like a lot of people consider covid a mass hysteria like people Mm. started you know really freaking out and like some people say that after they got vaccines they were experiencing weird symptoms and like is that mass Mm. hysteria Mm, i see what you're saying yeah so yeah, that's interesting. I wonder why Africa in particular. Well, it's also heavily religious. Mm-hmm. So if you remember, especially these areas in South South Africa, there is a large, you know, there's a large Christian influence there. Missionaries came down there, even in the aerial school. Some of the kids' parents were missionaries and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that coupled with some of the folklore from, you know, the culture there and things like that, I think that coupled with this idea that, you know, these are evil spirits, that they're demons, which is really is actually a theory out there that these aliens or aliens just in general are not beings from other planet star systems, but in fact they're spiritual beings or evil spirits that are they're demonic entities mm-hmm. that are here to deceive and mm-hmm. and sort of make you believe that they're aliens, but in fact they're actually there mm-hmm. to wreak havoc on on us here on but Earth. I just feel like if that was true, then why would they be spreading the message of save yeah. the earth and like don't well, maybe that's their first message. And once you buy into that one, the next, you know, gradually over time, I mean, it's not going to be like, we just want to kill everything and destroy, you know, why would they do that? They're going to try to lure you in. And yeah. that's a great way to do it. So I, I think, I think the mass hysteria, though, is related to religious beliefs and mm-hmm. uh, coupled with the environmental factors, too. Like, think yeah. about school in Africa, how that differs from the rest of the world in a lot of places in the way that the schools are set up and Mm. you know just the environment that they're in versus say say a kid in united states or a kid in europe i mean it's very very different i just don't think mass hysteria plays into it at all i think the kids saw what they saw 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, what actually was, were those beings, were they actually aliens or were they some, you know, was it a mm-hmm. human that looked like any, I mean, that I think that's what's up for debate. I don't think the, I, the UFO part is, I think that's like a done deal right, right. there. Yeah, yeah. I think. What I, are they actually seeing them? Yeah, exactly. Well, do you believe they saw something? Yeah, I, I believe this 100%. I mean, I, I think they, they saw gray aliens that landed in their schoolyard, just like they've been seen by countless others around the world. And I think the mystery is why? Where are they? What What's their purpose? It's just terrifying. I almost don't want to believe it because it makes me so concerned about where we're going. I mean, things have just gotten so much worse since 94 with technology and the environment. It's just makes me so uncomfortable to think about, but, it, but I don't know. It would make sense. The message makes sense. Yeah. I go back and forth between like, are they good or are they bad? You know, if, if aliens are here observing and watching us, are oh, they good yeah. or are they bad? The threat argument. Yeah. Is, are they a threat? Is it something we need to worry about? seems like mm-hmm. it's very split. It's very split in the UFO world. Is like, it is. are they here to, you know, potentially experiment on us, you know, perhaps take over control at some point or are they here to protect and save us from ourselves and so to speak that's what i tend to believe but because you have to remember to believe that right alternative so right i don't know well and it kind of plays back into you know if you believe that these aliens are here for the greater good i mean Mm -hmm. i think a lot of evidence has shown that that is the truth i mean you have to remember ufos have deactivated nuclear reactors when we were doing testing with uh, nuclear weapons and yeah. they've, they've completely disabled no- nuclear reactors in the past. And this is, mm-hmm. I mean, there's good, yeah. good evidence for that one. That's, Seems like there's a lot of evidence just pointing to the fact that they're trying to save us from ourselves. What I think is that they are a part of this planet now too, that we share this planet with some other type of species, whether it's gray aliens or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that we share the planet with another species and they're, here somewhere, whether they're in the ocean or they're underground, they're somewhere. Mm-hmm. And their survival depends on our survival. Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess that could be true. But I I think that they could probably leave. Maybe not, If shit though. hit the fan. But maybe not. This could be, I mean. Maybe they're stationed here to help us as like a mission. Eh, I think that's too simple. I think, I think, there, I think there was a civilization of... <laughs> of some type of species from mars that came here and mm-hmm. you know is are they is there other interplanetary species that they're mm-hmm. working with maybe is there you know sort of a global fe- or a universal federation of aliens maybe i remember a few months back we were having this conversation and josh you said that you don't think aliens are actually present here on earth and that they're you know somehow telepathically like you know quote unquote visiting us so what made you change your mind that you think that they are here now I mean, I don't think necessarily that it comes down to like, what is an alien? So like, I think the more I've looked into it, the more I've, I've started to believe that there is, there is another species, whether it's a, uh, prehistory, uh, pre-Adamite civilization, so to speak. So there was a civilization that existed before recorded human history and to us, and they were far, far more advanced than we were. And we can do a whole episode on it. Graham Hancock has a great, great, great books on on this whole argument that prior to all of our what we know as is human history, 
there was a very, very advanced civilization that existed, and there was something that happened to the Earth. The Earth changed, went through this cataclysmic event, and it wiped everybody out. Or maybe some survived, and you know they've been hiding within the Earth. I, I tend to think that we may not be actually dealing with aliens from other star systems as much as we're dealing with some other type of species or being That's that either came from Mars or has just been on the Earth far longer than we have that is similar you know there's similar characteristics to us but they're not exactly like us but the whole gray alien thing is what is what i get stuck on because if you go all the way back to roswell yeah that's what was yep. claimed to have mm -hmm. been you know the alien bodies that were recovered at the roswell crash looked like site grays. looked like gray aliens so to me i'm like i sometimes worry that after roswell all these abductions started happening and so I tend to kind of lean towards the government was the one that recovered these alien bodies. And what did they start doing? They started testing them and, and, you know, perhaps they figure out a way to artificially create gray aliens and they use these gray aliens to sort of do their bidding in a way and create sort of this facade that we're all under that their UFOs are these alien beings from another star system that are going around abducting people and experimenting on people. But in fact, they're doing experiments for some type of nefarious mm. government group mm. that is trying to do hybrid DNA experiments. I mean, you can get, I mean, I'm getting crazy, here, yeah. but you can get so, so far down the rabbit hole with it. But mm. sometimes I tend to lean that perhaps we haven't, you know, aliens from another planet haven't landed here yet. Have we been visited by perhaps spiritual entities or entities that are transdimensional? Yeah. I think that's a possibility, but that's very different from like an alien, a physical alien yeah. landing on the planet. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, well, we want to hear your thoughts on all the above, everything we've discussed today. Definitely let us know in the comments below, but we got to wrap it up for today. We will be back next week with another episode of Mile Higher, but until then, keep on taking your mind a mile higher.